everyone. This is Joshua Hoffman, and welcome to another episode of the Masters in Marketing Agency podcast, where we deconstruct the why and how agency owners found their success, and in season two, discuss the future of marketing. Today, I have Brooke Shepard, the CEO and managing partner of Mason Interactive, an award-winning performance marketing agency providing paid social, paid search, creative, social media, SEO, and email marketing services. Welcome, Brooke. Thanks for having me. Of course. Uh, so on our discovery call before this, uh, is and we actually realized that we have very similar thoughts to college. Um, so that's where I want to start. And you specifically shared a comment that you think that college is actually better served as like an environment dedicated to making yourself better as opposed to, you know, focusing on a specific major or career. Um, so if you happen to remember our conversation from before, can you kind of explain a little bit more what you mean by all that? Yeah, 100%. Um, I know that people can go to school for marketing now for what I do, but that didn't exist when I was in college in the 90s. Um, I realized that it's a function of my privilege of how I grew up, that I was allowed to think this way. But I think you go to college to be around people that are smarter than you, to learn a broad skill set and learn how to think and write, and not for a trade. My, my thought probably is that graduate school is for learning a trade. But I have arguments. I have a 14-year-old son. I have arguments with friends of mine who have kids that are a similar age, and they'll say things like, it's crazy you want to send your kid to a liberal arts college. Well, I'm just going to send my kid to a two-year community um, a community college where they'll learn coding. That, that's a thing that happens a lot in our industry. A lot of our, About half of our clients are schools. People are looking at schools on, on an ROI basis now and a return on investment basis. So I understand that. But again, I was privileged to not have to think that way and was able to, to look at it as a, as a just a way to educate myself about things. And I think that's the right way to do it anyway, because certainly a lot of coding jobs are going to be obliterated by AI, right? And so I'd be really annoyed if I had a narrow focus for my education that was about learning how to dig ditches and all of a sudden a better uh, mechanical uh, ditch digger came along. So I, I think you go to school to learn all about the world and, all, and be around people that are smarter than you, yeah. Well, I'm going to jump right to it then. I was and the next question was going to be to tell us a little bit more about your company, and I promise I'll get to that in a second. But you mentioned AI taking jobs, so you know, what do you see as the future, both in the next two years of what that looks like, and how AI and ChatGPT and all those things take over, and then what do you see it in the next ten years look like? So, for our industry specifically, um, clients ask me what I think about it, and my answer is always, uh, "Do you want?" use those tools. What do you think about them? I don't really think I get a vote. Zuckerberg isn't asking me. Um, Bing isn't asking me. I don't get a vote on whether those things are happening. They just are. I also think that clients are probably not aware of the extent to which AI has been already been used in advertising campaigns for lookalike audiences and seed lists and combining creative pieces. So there's a little bit of it being a shiny new badge on a thing that already exists. But we use it heavily for everything. We use it for writing ad copy. We use it for meeting summaries. We use it for RFPs. And I just think if you're not using it, the person next to you is, and you're going to lose out, and you have to be using it. So I think there'll be more automation in this industry and not less over time. I think that's been a truism for a long time. I think that what that will mean is that if I had to guess in the future of this industry, people will have fewer clients, sorry, more clients paying them a lower rate or maybe the same rate but lower hours on that work because a lot of the work will happen more quickly. And that the real skill set is not going to be doing the work. Real skill set will be explaining why you did the work and, and, and reasons why you made those choices along the way. So I think that's the next two years. You have to use it. You don't get a vote. You have to use it because the person next to you is. And if you don't, you're going to lose out. And in 10 years, I, 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 think, if, I think if Google Marketing Live was two weeks ago, and they're, they're articulating a position where basically account managers aren't needed anymore, and the robot will do everything. I, I don't think that's really as, as um, 
I think I can say this. We have a client, the Culinary Institute of America. They sell a sommelier program. This is not a wine tasting class. This is not a box of wine of the month. This is a serious degree to go work in the best restaurants in the world. When we let Google decide what the right ad copy should be by combining subject lines and description lines according to their best practices for responsive search ads and find their best ad, we might have four headlines and four subject lines and four more subject lines the clients approve, but Google's going to mix and match those. And in this specific case, the Culinary Institute of America's sommelier degree, the best ad was something like, uh, do you like wine? Come taste all the wine and learn more about wine. And so, so, so Google's AI's version of what the best creative was, was one that was, it got the most clicks because that's how Google makes money is by getting clicks. It was not the thing that, that did best for the client. The client would have rather have had fewer clicks that cost more that converted better. And so we still need humans to oversee these things and tell Google while it's wrong. But certainly in 10 years, Google's opinion is that all creative will be made by a robot and all the ads we run by a robot. I think they're seeing a world in which you just put your website into a um, in, into a machine and it builds your whole campaign for you. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's the way they see it happening in, in Meta as well. I, I guess my question there is like, even when you we won't be able to tell the difference between like if we're talking to a human or a robot, um, which I think we're already fairly close to that singularity. Is that is that what it is? Um, do you think there'll still be value to like using a real person in that situation? And I know there's a lot of situations so you can break down whichever one you want, or do you think people will just grow up and just care about productivity? Cause like at the end of the day, you know, older generations will always want the way it was. And then newer generations will always adapt to the way things are going. So, um, you know, how do you see that? Uh, the, again, the specific question is, is when we do are in the singularity, um will there actually still be value like me as a person be like oh you know i like that i'm just talking to a real person yeah i hope so i i, I hope so but i don't i don't know so i mean right um i don't i don't know what's going to happen there I, I i think that the human ability to synthesize data and relate to other people through common experiences will still be valuable i also think that creative will become more important in this industry right now than, than, than it is right now a lot of clients don't really focus on creative they're focused on like what audience did better today? Why haven't you uncovered the right audience? Let's try a new audience. That's important um, and that's not going to stop. But I think the creative, real creative is created by people. I, I have a hard time imagining the singularity coming. I, I find it easy to imagine the singularity coming. I find it hard to believe that, that a computer will come up with a big idea for a creative piece that strikes a cultural chord across demographics the way a person will. Or, or if it does do that, I think it will happen later. And so that's the way we're leaning as an agency is to try to focus on those big ideas, those big campaign ideations. We think that's a way to future-proof the next couple of years for us. Interesting. I I, I want to slightly change the subject, and, and you can bring it back into AI if you want, but I, I want to continue to focus on the future of marketing. And in 2020, you actually wrote a blog post about the latest trends in advertising spend. So the question I'd like to ask there is, like, what actually has changed since you wrote that uh, blog post, if you happen to remember it? Dig into the memory banks. Um, I think the biggest. I, I was going to also ask, you know, if you don't happen to remember that, which is totally fine, you know, what do you think is changing in advertising spend moving forward? Well, I think the big change in 2020 was was iOS 14, right, which we knew was coming for a couple of years. And clients, and I don't know if that's what I wrote about, but that was the big thing that happened in 2020 that everyone wanted to to um, to frankly not hear about. We, we we shouted about that as loud as we could. Um, so what happened was Facebook began to perform worse than it had for a couple of years. 
And there were a lot of people, a lot of businesses that started during the pandemic who, um, and I think I said this during our, our pre-read, but I think there's a lot of people out there, I'm going to get kind of negative, that, that read uh, case studies of Warby Parker or Harry's Razors or these first-generation e-com companies who did great jobs and executed cleanly and came out of Wharton and were smart, but were first to market. And I think there's a lot about being first to market. And I, and I think there's a lot of people that read these case studies and said, oh, all I need to do is find the right agency and the right creative and my product will sell itself on the miracle engine known as, known as I guess it wasn't called Meta then, on Meta. iOS 14 degraded that. And then and the way we talk to our clients about it is, if it's degraded, we can debate how much iOS 14 degraded uh, Meta's advertising capabilities, but it degraded it a little bit. It certainly destroyed the reporting. Then, then the solution is you need to diversify your mix to be in front of more people. And that means you need to be on places like Reddit, and um, I mean, you need to be everywhere. You, you, need to, you need to be on Snap, you need to be on TikTok, you need to be in all these places. When I started in this industry, we weren't just on Google. There was some people might remember a platform called GoTo, which was a single serve. Uh, it was, it was a, before Google Ads, it was a, a Yahoo actually bought our effort start. It was one place where you'd go, type in the keyword you wanted to buy, you would write what you wanted to pay for a click on that keyword, and it would serve that keyword across. I'm going to make this up, but it's about right. Seven Search, Dogpile, Alta Vista, uh, uh, Google wasn't around, Ask Jeeves, uh, Microsoft, Yahoo. And, and you could see what we were all bidding. So if you were bidding, is that a queen book back there? If you, uh, if you were, if you, if you were yeah. bidding a dollar on, on a queen book, I could bid one dollar and one cent because I could see what you would bid and I would show up above you, right? So we used to be on five or 10 platforms at once over the left. It is queen, right? I have another queen book here. I was going to show off a little. Oh, so. There <laughs> so, so we were on 20 years ago, we were on five or 10 platforms at a minimum all the time. In the last couple of years, we've boiled it down to what I call the duopoly, Facebook and, and uh, Facebook and Google, uh, Alphabet and Meta. And we need to expand past that. There's a lot of solutions for that. The trade desk is a solution for that. But really, one of the things they say is that, and I stole this from a guy named Joel, who I used to work with. Um, Bill, if you're, if you're watching, thank you for this. We don't get to decide who the customer is. The customer gets to decide who they are. And therefore, we need to be in front of them wherever they are on all of these platforms. And if we're on these six different, I'm going to call them tier two or tier three platforms like Snap. I don't think Snap's lighting anyone's world on fire right now. But we need to be on all those platforms because if an aggregate, those five or six tier two platforms equal one half the performance of what Meta used to do before iOS 14, I think you're in a good spot. That would be a great outcome. It's also a great outcome for us as an agency owner, selfishly, because that means we have to run more platforms, and that means we can build more time for putting people on those platforms and synthesizing the data. But the, the, thing, the thing I think we were talking about before is clients don't always want that, because going back to these case studies people might have read when they became entrepreneurs uh, from businesses that are 15 years old now, um, People are used to seeing a return on and turn on advertising spend or ROI or specific customer acquisition cost, CAC or a CP, whatever metric someone uses. People are used to seeing those over the last decade in, in the meta platform. And there's a well-published where you can read anywhere what someone pays for a customer in their, in their, uh, when they go public, um, their S1 filing. Um, uh, people are used to efficiency there. And these new platforms like TikTok, do not have the same efficiency. They are not as good yet at, at advertising as Meta is. And so clients will say, well, I need to diversify to Meta. I hear you say, I hear you say that, let's try it. I'm spending $100,000 a month in Meta. Let's try a $1,000 test in TikTok. Oops, the ROI wasn't as good as, as, uh, as Meta, turn it off. And, and that sort of short-sighted like race to maximum efficiency 
is a thing I see going on with our, not all of our clients, but with some of our clients and friends of mine who own agencies see this with our clients. It's going on in the environment around us because of the interest rates and the macroeconomic conditions. People are so relentlessly focused on efficiency, which they should be, but they should be focused on growth at the same time, that they're turning, they end up turning off these platforms that don't work after a small amount of spend. And I just think it's very short-sighted and not the way to success. I mean, anyway, that's my thought about that. No, I, I find that really interesting. And I, I guess my question there is, you know, how do you judge if a new platform is worth attacking early on versus, you know, maybe waiting to see how it, the market responds to it first? I think it's probably a function of the way you're funded as part of it. If you just have a friends and family around for $200,000 and that's supposed to last you a year, you're probably not going to try those things. Um, but but uh, past that, I think you need to look at quality sessions, which will be difficult with GA4, but quality sessions and leading indicators of profitability. There, there, is, a, um, there is a world in which most e-commerce businesses can be viewed as um, e-collection businesses, right? There's a world in which uh, it, it might be that we're, we're an $80 million company selling um, widgets, but really the health of our business is how fast is our email list growing? Right, and how much time are people spending on site looking at products? And so, if we're focused only on profitability now, we are not going to be focused on things like email list growth. We'll be focused instead on things like how much money did I make? You know, let's do. Let's drop an email to our existing customer file and get the sales in because we need to go over our targets for the end of the month. Right? I think a lot of people have been there. It's the 28th of the month. You're supposed to do a million in sales. You've only done 750. You only have a few days left. What do you do? Flash sale. Drop an email to the database. That works, but it only works if you're also getting new people into your database, into your email system, into your CRM, into your own media channels. Um, and that, and those are, those are, it's less efficient to go get a new customer than it is to advertise to your existing customers. So when I look at something like TikTok, I think, and it, and it does have a positive ROI for clients who sell low average order value products. What I think about is what kind of eyeballs are we getting to the site? What kind of traction are we getting in the platform? And are we getting email list signups? Uh, because again, emails are the leading indicator of, of future health. I think what that highlights is, you know, the vanity metric versus the true KPI. Um, and I think a lot of people like to pretend that a vanity metric is their key performance indicator when it not always necessarily is. So I, I think that was a great point. Um, take a step back now. And no, but, but, I mean, but follow up about that. So like, so like the, the, we call those hard goals versus soft goals. So we had a client, we don't have this client anymore. that sold six figure they sold. They sold. Uh, they sold. It was a school, and what they. I'm trying to give it away. What they sold was uh, a degree where, when you were done, you'd most likely get a six-figure union job fixing airplanes. They also sold uh, pilot licenses. So, if you want to learn how to fly recreationally, you can go do that. So, it was a it was a flight school uh, for airplanes and, and work, learning to work in airplanes. The CEO of that school is in Tulsa. CEO of that school Googles the key phrase pilot license Tulsa as an, I don't know if he still does, but then he, he Googled that as an example of something he was really keen to have a show up for, for his SEO program. There were like four searches a month for pilot license Tulsa. And I'm sure that three of them were that CEO, but, and it doesn't, and they don't, didn't, they couldn't, they don't make as much money from a pilot license degree as they do for the non-destructive testing degrees where you can get a job with the, with the, with the union working at Delta afterwards. But that's a that's a that's a soft metric. It doesn't mean it's not important. If the CEO cares a lot about showing up, and it is vanity metric, if the CEO cares a lot about showing up in that keyword, that becomes a thing we have to do, even if it doesn't have even if it doesn't tie to the hard business goals of will I get more students in and pay me sixty thousand dollars for my for my non-disruptive testing class. So they're valid, but we just need to be honest about what these soft goals are as opposed to hard goals. 
is what I think. Do you ever ignore the customer's request because you don't think it makes sense? No. No, the worst we'll ever do. No, not really. No, that's a great way to get fired. The, <laughs> if I, think, I, have, I have turned down clients for ethical reasons before. I have, I have had clients that were, um, I, had, I had a client once who was, I, had, I was doing some work for a political party. And uh, this is 10, 15 years ago. And, and they were trying to get publicity up around um, about, about Obamacare. And, um, and their ads, they're allowed to have their point of view and, and they're fine. But their ads got worse and worse and became just attack ads and, be, and became not the kind of thing I want to be associated with in that campaign. So I, I, I'd rather turn down a client for doing things. Than, and I have done that more than once to do that all the time, but we do do that as opposed to not doing a client once, once they're a client. Well, that, that's too good of a transition to, uh, and again, if you don't happen to remember this article, totally fine. I'll move on. But you, you wrote uh, for Forbes, actually 15 tips to break up with agency clients. Um, yeah. You also have another article that's how to respectfully turn down clients uh, and four red flags to look for. So uh, can I give you a second to, to kind of break down either of those in any direction you want? Well, I don't remember the articles. I should have read them. The, 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 there's a lot of red flags. Some, some of the red, some of the red flag. And I could just look at the article, but some of the red flags are, um, I'll, I'll spend more if the ROI is there, um, because that's not how this works. Um, and I don't. I guess you can edit this in post, but I, I, maybe I'll look up those exact four points in a minute and go back to them. But because um, I don't remember specifically what I said there. But, but I wouldn't the, even about um, specifically remembering other, other than just answering the question kind of on top of your head. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the red, the, there's a lot of red flags. The red flags are I have no goals. Uh, what, because one of the things that happens in the sales process is people say, well, how much should I spend? And, and we give an answer, which is honest. And we often lose business for this answer, which is, I don't know, how much do you want to sell? If you want to sell a million units, I'm going to give you a different answer than if you only have like five bags in your, in your warehouse to sell. So, so we're going to have to back into that. So, so when a client says, I don't have numerical goals or sales goals, I just want to do more. We always say is well, more is not a goal, right? Like that—that's a—that's just a wish. I need to know how many units you want to sell. And if someone doesn't have goals, that's a big red flag. They will probably not be successful. Um, another another red flag is that people don't attend meetings. Uh, that is the number one indicator of client churn at our company. It's not client growth. That's a close second. It's not um, hitting sales targets. It's how often they show up for meetings. Um, so no goals is a big red flag. Uh, I'll spend if the ROI is there. It's a big red flag, and I'm sure there's more that I can think of. But those are the those are the ones during the sales process where we, where we always sort of um, maybe begin to think they're not for us and try to think about referring them to other to other people. Yeah, and I, I think the biggest issue that new marketers run into is they think, and and any company, right? I do this when I join a new company in sales. I just want to get everything in the door, and I don't really care about quality at this point. Um, so I, I think, you know, it is important that it is okay to turn down a customer even early on um, based on a lot of signs. That's yeah. The, the other trick as a piece of advice is if you have a client who you think is squirrely and you, um, but you want the revenue anyway, what you can do is, is ask them to prepay. We don't ask most clients to prepay. Most clients are in 30 or 60 days net. But if a client's squirrely, we'll, we'll ask them to pay up front and they might be by the way that, that if the client is perceived as being squirrely we'll ask them to pay up front and actually we do it differently now now it's anyone in our lowest service tier we ask to pay up front because we we know that sometimes the lowest for whatever reason we have three levels of service we have three levels at mason 
we have three levels of service for most of our product offerings. And if anyone chooses the lowest one, which is great, we'll do a good job for them at that. We'll charge them less. We'll do a little less than we will if they paid us more. But those people have a higher propensity to churn out for whatever reason. And so we know that mathematically. And so those clients get pre-charged. And that's a piece of advice if you, if you have someone in that you're, that you're on the fence about, is this, is this client going to work or not? Ask them to prepay. And that will, uh, will self-select a bunch of them right out of your sales funnel. And that's okay. That means they weren't going to pay you anyway. I'm glad we we got onto that. That was that was a great note. Uh, a few questions I, I tend to ask towards the end. Uh, if you had to teach something to other marketers, what would it be? Well, uh, clients or other agency people? Literally any way you want to take that. I think I think the thing that we talked about before that I think is important to think about is uh, the idea of building towards a, a, a moment. So I think we talked about this, but so um, as an owner of the company, I get paid via the K one. Right? I, I get I, I get paid via profit distributions at the end of the year, and an agency is a low profit margin services business. That's just what it is. We can talk about adding on different things, using technology to increase productivity, but it's a service business based on the people you have doing the work, and it's a low margin because we can cost a little more than doing it in house. We can cost a lot more, or else people would just do it in house. So it's a low margin business by necessity. Um, so, but I, I care very much about profit, and what I'll say is. Um, we have two, mostly two kinds of clients here. We have schools that tend to do better, it's Nichen in Q1, and we have emerging DTC brands, Ecom, that tend to do better in Q4. Q2, right, so that means we have two big events in our year. We have Q1 for the, for the schools, we have Q4 for the DTC people. Um, and we have other clients, but those are the over 55-ish clients. That's something like 48 of them are in the, one of those two buckets. Um, not, neither of those clients, types of clients, spends a lot in August. So, so Mason Interactive, most Augusts is overstaffed. Most Q3s, Mason Interactive is overstaffed. And we have too many people on hand, given the fact that no one's spending a lot of money in the, in the summer. So if I, were, if I were maybe a bigger company or if I had a different kind of board of directors, one of the things I would do in August is cut staff because that's my biggest expense. I would say, you know what, we're overstaffed by 30%. I'm getting rid of 30% of the people. Um, I don't do that what, because, because what, I, what I've learned over the years is that I can tolerate that lack of profitability in August because I know that keeping people around means I don't have to rehire new people in November, right? It means I don't have to pay new recruiters fees in October and November. It means I don't need to train them. It means I don't have to make sure they're making good enough for Black Friday. So if I keep the people around on staff when I don't need them in August, and I'm not sure they always feel that it's that slow in August, but it is mathematically given we're paid those months. What we found is we have better client retention and client growth in Q4. And we end up making, and our clients end up making more money because of the quality of the staff on the accounts, and therefore we make more money in Q4 if if we tolerate that lack of profitability in Q3. So, right, so I, I care a lot about profitability because it's how I get paid, but I don't look at a given day. I don't look at a given hour. I'm aware of those numbers. I have the PL, I know what's going on, I know what our sales metrics are like, I know what our clients' numbers are like. I look at them every morning before I leave the house. But, but I care much more about building toward the event of the year and making sure we're ready for the key times, Q1 and Q4. And I think that a lot of clients, um, uh, I think the clients we have that are most successful tend to, tend to hear that and say, you know what, I'm actually, it's not that we don't look at profitability every day, we do, but, but, but we talked earlier about leading metrics for profitability, things like email signups. So, so maybe August is not a time when I give up and turn off my budgets and demand or conversely, I have a, I demand growth and I have a spreadsheet that says I'm going to do 10% a month compounding uh, top line revenue growth, even though it's August. If clients say that, 
Maybe instead we take a step back and we say, you know, that month actually probably won't grow like that. Let's instead look at the lowest cost of getting in front of new people. What, what is the lowest cost per new user we can get in the site in those months? What are some other metrics we can do to fill up our website's pool of remarketing cookies for Q4? So, so I think I think boil it down, looking at things as a as building towards a moment is generally more successful for our clients than focusing on intraday uh, numbers. And again, I don't want anyone to hear this and say we don't look at things every day. We do. But, but there's a different thing we're looking for at different times of the year. And I and I eat my own dog food here, given that I run my own company, which is now 15 years old with 35 employees and 55 clients and two offices in Brooklyn and Charlotte. I run my own company that way, and I and I, I work very much about profitability. But the best way for me to play profitable later on is sometimes to sacrifice profit now and build towards that, that moment. Um, that's, that's a thing I believe very much. I love that. That, that was great. Uh, are you guys looking to hire any positions right now? We are hiring a few positions right now. We're hiring someone in our CRM department as a new person. We need a new SEO person. Um, we're hiring a graphic designer. All the spots are on our website and our HR director gets any applications that go through there. And last question, any books, podcasts, newsletter recommendations? I love Fred Wilson's AVC. Uh, I think that's a great thing to read. And then I, I used to ask everyone that started to work here to read uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. It can be a little old school and it can be a little like, a, it, it, you know, it's not so connected to some, to, to some today's realities. There's a lot of advice like if, you, um, if you're having a hard time getting the prospect on the phone, just have your girl call his girl. And that, that's, I mean, that's just like old doesn't happen. Um, so if you can deal with the sort of casual misogyny of the book written in the 1960s or 50s, How to Win Friends and Influence People is a good book to read. Uh, I recommend everyone read that if they're starting in this industry. And also David Ogilvy has a book that's out of print, but you can find used, where he talks, I think it's called On Advertising. And I ask everyone at a senior level here to read that. You are the second person in a row to say the how to win friends uh, and influence people. So, so two episodes in a row. It's, it's been good. it's already ended in the past, but I, I had a big smile because you're literally the second person in a row. So I enjoyed that one. Um, I, I wonder if I used to work with that person. I can throw you their name after this. Uh, I think it was it was I think it was Netta. Um, she's in Tel Aviv right now. But um, as we come up to the end of the episode, I just want to give you an opportunity to mention how people can find you and anything else you'd like to end with. I appreciate that. MasonInteractive.com. We're going through a rebrand. Our new site will be live in July, but the URL won't change. We're doing Grow in New York on July 11th. We're speaking on stage with a great client, Basket Lather. She's awesome. Her business is awesome. Um, so yeah, come see us at Grow or come see our website, MasonInteractive.com. Perfect. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And for those of you who have learned something new from this episode, please consider giving us a like or a follow so we can continue getting the highest quality guests. And as always, thank you for listening, Brooke. This was a very good and informative episode. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Masters in Marketing Agency podcast. I hope you got a ton of value out of this episode. And before we go, I just want to thank our sponsors, DevNoodle. DevNoodle provides marketing agencies with the ability to offer their clients unlimited website design, build, and management services with fixed monthly plans. If website design, development, and maintenance is holding your agency back from growing, please reach out to us at devnoodle.com, where we make websites easy, easy for you and easy for your clients, devnoodle.com.